He is risen. Amen. I was told this morning that when somebody says that to you in Minnesota, you say, you betcha. So you all do better next time. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14. We'll be reading the first six verses. John 14, verses 1 through 6. And before we read, let's pray. Well, Father, we just turn to your word now and we thank you. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity on Resurrection Sunday to turn to your word and meditate on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Father, we do believe that some 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus walked out of a tomb. And Father, we believe that that changed everything, everything in this planet, in this universe. And Father, we we, we just join together, rejoice. We, We thank you, Father. And as we meditate on what that actually means for us today, I pray, Lord God, you would grant us the gift of faith, I pray, Father, you would stir within our hearts by your Spirit. Lord, we know that uh, the things of the Spirit of God cannot be discerned by the natural man because they can only be discerned by the, 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 by the Spirit. So we pray, Father, you would give the gift of your Spirit and, and shine a light in our hearts by your Spirit so that we might understand, believe, and comprehend, cling to the things that are written here. And we thank you for it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to his 12 original disciples, his 12 original followers. And Jesus says this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. You know, one of the, uh, one of the most powerful words in our language is probably the word home. Now that word home just, just seems to stir up deep emotions for most people. Mark Johnston says, Few things in life evoke deeper feelings or have richer associations than the thought of home. And that word home may stir up some feelings for you. It's possible that the word home st- stirs up some painful feelings for you. You hear the word home and you think maybe of a, of a painful childhood, a painful memory from your childhood home. Or the word, the word home may stir up more pleasant feelings for, for you. And you, you think of a happy childhood, maybe. You, you think of your father's smile. 
or your, your mother's warm embrace. You think of the laughter of a brother and a, a sister. Or maybe, maybe the word home makes you think of your home now. Or, or the home that you would like to have someday. A home of warmth. Home of comfort and love and, and joy and, and rest. And home is just a powerful word. You think of some of the sayings that we use with the word home in them. There's no place like home. Home is where the heart is. Happiness is homemade. I feel at home with you. Please come home. Home, sweet home. Man, it's just a... It's just a powerful word. And and here in this passage, Jesus talks about a home. But he doesn't talk about just any home. No, Jesus talks here about the home above all homes. This amazing, eternal, future home that will one day be enjoyed by multitudes of people. This home that was ultimately made possible only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, this this passage here in the book of John, it, it fits in very nicely with where we've been in the book of Luke lately. If you're just joining us for the first time this morning, I've been preaching through the book of Luke. And in Luke, Jesus is just about ready to die. And that's where we are here in the book of John. Jesus is just about ready to die here. And Jesus just told his 12 disciples here about it. Jesus just told his 12 disciples that he would soon die and that after that, he would then depart from them. He would physically ascend into heaven and be gone from them physically. And his disciples now, having just heard that Jesus will soon leave, they are understandably very distraught. And so here in this passage, Jesus comforts them. And how does Jesus comfort his disciples? Well, he starts talking about home. This amazing future eternal home that they would one day enjoy. We learn several things here in this passage. And one thing we learn here is that God has a home. A heavenly home. Jesus says there in verse 1, Let not your hearts Be troubled, disciples. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Jesus, the the Son of God, is talking there about his Father, God the Father. There's only one God, but that one God exists in three persons. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And right here we have Jesus, the Son of God, talking about his Father, God the Father. And Jesus says here that his Father has a house. His Father has a home. (laughs) And Jesus was talking there about heaven. The God of this universe has a home called heaven. Man, I just want to think with you about heaven for a minute. I am absolutely convinced that in most Christian circles, people do not think about heaven enough. You may hear sermons on hell, but how often do you hear sermons on heaven? 
Let's think about heaven for just a few minutes here. You may not know this, but heaven right now, it, is, it has not yet been established in its final form. You know, people can still go to heaven right now for sure. People who belong to God, Christians, when they die, they go to heaven. But Christians enter a heaven right now that's not yet in its final form. Heaven right now, it's, it's in a sort of intermediate or, or temporary state. It's still a great place to go for sure. You are in the presence of God but you're there in, in kind of a, it's kind of a transitional period of sorts. Your, your spirit is with God, but your body's in the grave. And that is not the way God planned for his people to spend eternity. A bunch of spirits just floating around with him. That was not God's plan. That's a temporary sort of transitional heaven. Heaven will not be fully established in its final form until Jesus returns to this earth a second and final time sometime in the future. Heaven for Christians right now who die, heaven right now for Christians who die, it's really kind of of like a layover on a trip. (laughs) Picture yourself flying out of Minneapolis today. Your final destination is is in the Bahamas. (laughs) An incredibly warm and beautiful vacation spot for you, but you have a layover in Miami. Now, Miami is a fine city, but your heart and mind are not set on Miami. No, your heart and mind are set on the Bahamas. And heaven right now for a Christian who dies is kind of like a layover. It's a great place, the heaven right now. You're with God, but your heart should not ultimately be set on that layover spot, but on your final destination. And that final destination, heaven in its final form, it won't be fully established until Jesus returns. The Bible says that when Jesus returns to this earth, the bodies of Christians will then be resurrected from the dead. Their spirits will then rejoin their bodies. God will then finally establish this home called heaven in its finished form. And Christians will then enter and live in that finished heaven, both spirit and body, forever. And man, that finished heaven, that thing's going to be an amazing place. You know, I think, I think a lot of Christians or a lot of people in, Christians, in Christian churches, when, when they hear about this eternal home in heaven, they envision someone sitting on a cloud playing a harp. And listen, I don't have anything against a harp. I love the harp. But I'm sorry, if heaven is just sitting on a cloud and playing a harp, I do not want to go there. That's boring, to me anyways. In one of Gary Larson's Far Side cartoons, a man is sitting on a cloud, supposedly in heaven, doing nothing with no one else around him, looking painfully depressed, and the man says, 
wish I'd brought a magazine. But that's not at all what this heavenly home will be like for those who live there. The Bible describes heaven as an incredible place. A big place for starters with lots of people. Jesus says there in verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. That could also be translated as many dwelling places. The King James Version, it translated as many mansions. And I'm sorry for those of you who swear by the King James, but that is just a bad translation of the Greek. Jesus is not saying there that everyone in heaven will have their own individual mansion. He's not saying that. He's talking about rooms or dwelling places. And I think Jesus was just telling his disciples there that heaven would be big. Not just 12 rooms and you 12 men in heaven. With lots of rooms, lots of dwelling places, with lots of people by the time heaven is finally established. It's a big place. And man, that finished heaven will also be a real place. A real physical place. A real physical creation, the Bible says. Similar in some ways to the physical creation around us now, only better. A a perfect creation. Revelation 21 calls it the new heaven and earth. The Bible indicates that when Jesus returns to this earth, this physical world all around us now, it will then somehow be made new or renewed. It will be radically transformed. It will be perfected. A real and a perfect heaven and earth. I mean, just stop and picture that. Well, what will be that? What will that look like? Vibrant green grass, I would imagine, there in heaven. Vibrant green trees and everything full of life. Crystal blue rivers. Clear blue skies. Gorgeous mountains. Real animals. Real sights. Real sounds, real, real smells, real tastes in heaven. A real place to live. And the people who live there in that future heaven, they will have real bodies according to the Bible. Not just spirits floating around, but physical flesh and blood bodies. Similar to the bodies we have now, only better. Perfected, glorified bodies, the Bible says, like the body of Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Still your body. The body that you had in this life. It will only be the perfected version of your body. (laughs) The glorified version of your body. You know, people fight so hard in this life. To achieve the perfect body. (laughs) Sweat for hours in the gym. Vitamins and supplements all day long. Anti-aging creams to stop the wrinkles. Liposuction to remove the pounds. (laughs) Plastic surgery to stop the sag. (laughs) You know, anything and everything we can do to lift this current body up to perfection. And yet... Life 
and gravity. Keep pushing everything back down <laughs> toward imperfection. Very imperfect bodies. We all feel it right now. But the Bible says that the people who live in that future eternal finished home called heaven, perfect, glorified, real flesh and blood bodies. And man, you know what's going to be absolutely amazing about this place called heaven? No sin. No sin whatsoever. Every last bit of sin gone in heaven. And you know what that means. Nothing in heaven will experience any of the effects of sin. The physical world in heaven won't experience any effects of sin. Our physical world now is. Romans 8 says that our physical world is right now groaning under the effects of sin. You look around our world right now, looks beautiful, groaning, the Bible says, under the effects of sin. At the very start of the Bible, when, when Adam, the first human being, sinned in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that sin and death then entered our world. And sin and death, at that moment, it infected the entire human race. We all became sinners that day. And we all then began to experience the effects of our sin. Human beings began to suffer. Human beings began to hurt and weep, ache, grow old, die. God didn't originally create us to die. Death is an effect of our sin. But listen, sin and death did not just infect the human race. No, the Bible says that all of creation was infected by sin and death. Romans 8 says that all of creation was subjected that day to futility. All of creation became enslaved that day to death and decay. The world began to suffer, began to hurt, weep, ache, grow old, die. A broken world to some degree. The entire world, according to the Bible, is now groaning under the effects of our sin. But Romans 8 says that when Jesus returns, our world will then be set free from its bondage to corruption. Our world will then be healed. It'll be renewed. It'll be recreated. A new and a perfect creation. No longer groaning under the effects of our sin. We are all right now in a world that is groaning. But in heaven no more. No more world that groans. You know what though? In heaven it's not just going to be the world that's no longer groaning under the effects of sin. People will no longer be groaning under the effects of sin. Man, we are all right now experiencing the effects of sin. All of us, even Christians. A Christian is forgiven of sin, but a Christian has not yet been delivered of all sin. We are all still sinners, and every human being still experiences the effects of sin. Pain, suffering, hardship, hurt. Our, our, our minds 
our minds clouded to some degree by sin right now? Are our senses right now dulled to some degree by sin? Are our bodies right now growing older and, and more frail because of sin? Dying because of sin. But in that future finished heavenly home, no sin. And therefore, no more effects of sin anywhere in all of that new heaven and earth. That's amazing. Revelation 21.4 says that in heaven, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You picture that. Sinless people living in a sinless world. Just imagine that. People seeing in heaven the most radiant colors ever. Most radiant, dazzling colors ever. But they will then be seeing those colors through eyes that are no longer dulled by sin. You think colors are beautiful here? You think they pop here on earth? Oh my word, nothing like the way they'll pop in heaven. Brilliant colors. A sinless nose in heaven. Smelling perfect lilies. Smelling perfect meadows. Smelling the freshest air. Beyond your wildest dreams. Oh my word. What will that be like? <laughs> and man, you think food tastes good now? <laughs> You're looking forward to your Easter lunch? Listen. The food in heaven, and yes, there will be food in heaven. We will sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That food in heaven? <laughs> touching a tongue that is no longer stained by sin, <laughs> your head will explode. <laughs> and you'll look back at your Easter lunch today and say, yuck, <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> Amazing. And man, you know what? You, you know the best part about this eternal home called heaven? God will be there. God will be there. Revelation 21.3 The dwelling place of God will be with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be His people. <laughs> and God Himself will be with them as their God. <laughs> man, this glorious home called heaven a real place, a, a, a physical place. God's home! Home above all homes. Sinless people in a sinless place in the presence of the one true God. <laughs> Way better than sitting on a cloud. Way better. Man, but you know what's crazy about this whole thing? We actually had a home like that once. We, the, the human race, we actually had a home like that once. In the Garden of Eden. Sinless people 
living in a sinless place in the very presence of the one true God, a perfect home, and we lost it. Sinned, and God then banished us from his home in Eden. And why? Why, why? why would God do that? Well, because God is a holy God, and God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. So he removed us sinners from his home. And listen, please, God locked the door. Genesis 3 says that God put a flaming sword at the entrance of the Garden of Eden to keep us sinners from entering back into his presence. We lost our home. We, we, we lost this perfect home we were created to enjoy. And, and you know what? Human beings have been searching for that perfect home ever since. Looking for it. Groping for it. Try, trying to find or trying to build this perfect home. I think that's one of the, the main reasons why that word home is so powerful to us. Because deep down inside of our hearts, every last human being knows that, that we were created to enjoy a perfect home. And we all now long for that perfect home. Man, we all now long in some way to go back to Eden. But we can't. So we try to create the perfect home now. We, we try to remove all the badness from our home and, and create this home of perfect rest and, and love and, and joy and warmth and, and comfort, but it never ultimately works to perfection. It never really satisfies. It, it never really soothes this ache within. Every single home in this life, it, it doesn't matter how good it seems is still just a dim shadow of the perfect home that we once had. And we keep aching for our true home. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Our homes in this fallen world, they never ultimately satisfy. And the only logical explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made to live in a perfect home in Eden. But we lost it. We all now ache to go back to Eden, but we can't. But here's the thing. God has another home. God has a better home. An infinitely perfect home. And even though we can no longer go back to Eden, God has graciously made a way where sinners like you and me can actually enter this much better home called heaven. And the people who finally end up there in heaven will find that this unceasing ache inside for a perfect home has finally been satisfied for good. 
We ache for it now, but can only ultimately be fulfilled in heaven. You know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of people now put these little home sayings on their walls in their houses. These little plaques and, and pictures with these little sayings about the home. I'm sure some of you may have one up on your wall somewhere. A lot of them, man, they're great little sayings about the home. Uh, but do you realize that a lot of those sayings about the home will only be fulfilled in heaven? You know, we put them on our walls now because we long for them to be true about our current homes. But they'll ultimately only truly be fulfilled in heaven. Just think of some of the sayings that we hang on our walls right now. Here's here's a popular one. Home, where you are always loved. You know, we, we put that on our walls now because we long for it. A home where people are always loved. It's a great longing. It's a great thing to put on your wall right now but we'll never ultimately find it here in this life. That will ultimately only be fulfilled in heaven. The one true home where people really are always loved. And you could keep going. A lot of the other sayings will also only ultimately be fulfilled in heaven. May our home be warm and our friends be many. That's heaven. That's heaven, the warmest of all homes, where our friends are many, many rooms. Here's another one. Live, laugh, love. That's heaven. Where you have eternal life, you live forever. Where you laugh in the presence of God and His people. Where you are loved intimately by God forever and ever, and you love the people around you. Live, laugh, love is heaven. There's no place like home. That's heaven. Home is where someone always runs to greet you. That's heaven. And the one who runs to greet you is Jesus. It's heaven. Home, sweet home. That's heaven. That's heaven. Man, all these sayings that we now love, great sayings, and all of those sayings are expressing this deep longing in our hearts for a perfect home. And that can and will ultimately be fulfilled only in heaven, the one and only true home. God's home. That's the first thing here we learn. God has a home. He has a heavenly home. And a second thing we learn here, Jesus has gone ahead of us to get that home ready. <laughs> you look at verse 2 again. Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so disciples, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? <laughs> And Jesus, you know, here in the book of John, he's already told his disciples multiple times that he would soon be going away. And, and Jesus has already given them several hints as to why he'd be going away. But now Jesus just comes right out and says it. Why am I going, disciples? Well, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. (laughs) And when Jesus says there that he's going to prepare a place for these men in heaven, man, it's easy to think that Jesus is just talking there about his ascension to heaven. I'm going back to heaven, disciples, after I die and rise again. And once I'm there in heaven, I'll then prepare a place for you in heaven. I'll get your rooms ready. And yes, now that Jesus is in heaven, there is a sense in which Jesus is preparing heaven for his people. But Jesus was not talking right there just about his ascension. He he was not talking there just about going back to heaven. No. Jesus was also talking there about going to the cross. I am going, disciples, to prepare a place for you in heaven. And the bulk of those preparations will be taken care of on the cross in my death and resurrection. Man, you think about this. We're celebrating the resurrection today. You, you, you think about this. Without the cross, without the death and resurrection of Jesus, this eternal home called heaven would be prepared for no one. No one would enter at all. And why? Sin. Because of our sin, heaven would be locked tight. A flaming sword essentially still guarding the doorway into God's heavenly home. No sinners allowed. Locked tight. We're all sinners. As sinners, we can't enter God's heavenly home. In order to enter, you you must be cleansed of your sin. And here's the problem. You cannot possibly cleanse yourself from your sin. You cannot possibly wash your own sin away and or enter into God's heavenly home. Lady Macbeth, in Shakespeare's play, Macbeth, she was sleepwalking at one point and she sees on her hands the blood from all the murders that she and her husband had committed and she, she rubs her hands in her sleep trying desperately to wash her hands and she yells, Out, damned spot! She cannot wash the blood off of her hands. And that's your sin. That's your sin. You you cannot wash your sin away in order to cleanse yourself, in order to enter God's heavenly home. But here's the thing. Jesus can wash it away. That's why Jesus went to the cross Jesus went to the cross in order that filthy sinners like you and me might be washed clean from our sins. Jesus on the cross, he took the sin of sinners upon himself. And Jesus then suffered the punishment that that sin deserved, which was death. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. And Jesus, after he died and was sealed away in that tomb, he walked out. Of the tomb three days later. A bodily 
resurrection from the dead. And when Jesus walked out of that tomb, it was proof that he had paid the full penalty of sin. A prisoner is not released from jail until he pays the full penalty for crimes committed. And when Jesus walked out of his jail, his tomb, it was proof that he had paid the full penalty for our crimes that were committed. (laughs) And man, because Jesus did that, What he did there in his death and resurrection. Filthy sinners like you and me can now be forgiven. If you genuinely come to Christ today for cleansing, Jesus can and he will cleanse you of all sin. Isaiah 1.18, though your sins are like scarlet, Jesus will wash them white as snow. And man, a sinner who's been washed clean, who's been washed in the blood of Jesus, a forgiven sinner, guess what? That sinner, that forgiven sinner can now enter into God's heavenly home. In his death and resurrection, Jesus unlocked the door into heaven. You you know what Jesus basically did on the cross? Jesus basically went through that flaming sword Jesus took the the flaming sword of judgment that you and I deserve. And when he took that flaming sword in himself, he removed the sin barrier that blocked the entrance. Jesus took the sword and opened the door. Man, on the cross, Jesus was preparing a place in heaven for sinners like you and me. And now that Jesus has ascended back into heaven, he's still preparing heaven for people like you and me. And man, what an amazing place that would be. That would be. Keith Green wrote a song. He said, in six days, he created everything. In six days, he created everything we see. But he's been working on heaven for 2,000 years. What an amazing place. Heaven. Will be. God has a home. Jesus went ahead of us to get that home ready. And man, one final thing we learn here. Jesus will soon return to bring His people to that home. Look at verse 2. Again, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. (laughs) This picture, Jesus talking to his disciples. Disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. And I will soon depart from you after I do that work on the cross. But do not fear. Because I will come again. I promise you that I will. And when I do, I will take you to myself. Ah, that's precious. I will take you to myself. That's heaven. Take you to myself in order that where I am, 
there may you be also living in that amazing, eternal, finished home called heaven. First Thessalonians 4 says that someday soon, Jesus will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet, and the dead then, who are in Christ, Christians, God's people, they will then be raised from the dead, a bodily resurrection, perfected, glorified, real flesh and blood bodies. The bodily resurrection from Jesus guaranteed the future bodily resurrection of all of his people. 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus was raised first, and when Jesus returns, all of his people will also then be raised. And his people will be raised sinless. Already forgiven of sin because they came to Christ in this life for cleansing. But now also purged from all sin. A perfected glorified body with no more sin in it. the spirits of those Christians who have been in this kind of temporary heaven with God, their spirits will then re-enter those bodies and they will then enter into, with Christ, this eternal, amazing, finished home called heaven. Sinless people living in a sinless world in the presence of God forever. And man, the $60 million question this morning then, how do you get there? How do you get there? How, how do you get to this place called heaven where you can live in the presence of God forever? You know what? One word answer. <laughs> Not complex. Here it is. How do you get there? Jesus. 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 Jesus is the way. And Jesus says here that he's the only way. The only way to heaven. That's what he says. Jesus tells his disciples here that he's going to prepare a place for them in heaven. And he says to them there in verse 4, And you know the way to where I'm going. <laughs> and Thomas, not yet understanding what he's saying, not understanding that he's talking about heaven, Thomas says, well, we don't know yet where you're going, Jesus. How do we know the way? Are you going to Caesarea? Give us a map. <laughs> we'll get there with you. And Jesus looks at him and simply says, I am the way. I am the way, Thomas. And Thomas doesn't get it yet, but Jesus is saying there, I'm, I'm the way to my Father's house in heaven, Thomas. I'm the way to God. Because I am God. I'm the way, Thomas, the way to heaven. I, I'm the truth, Thomas. All truth is in me. I am also the life, Thomas. Eternal life is found in me. I'm the way to God's eternal home in heaven. The only way. And Jesus says there in verse 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. No No one. No one gets through that door in heaven and enters my Father's presence for all eternity except through me, through, through my blood, through, through my cleansing, through, through my person. I'm the only one in the universe who can, who can wash you, who can cleanse you, 
and make you ready to enter heaven. Man, Jesus Christ, he claims here to be the one and only way to heaven. You know, Christians are not the ones who made that up. It's in the Bible. Jesus says it. I'm the only way. No one gets to the Father except through me. So I say this with all the grace and love in the world. But according to Jesus Christ, Muhammad is not the way to heaven. Buddha is not the way to heaven. All the the supposed gods of Hinduism, it's not the way to heaven. Your good works are not the way to heaven. None of those other things, none of those other people can cleanse you from your sin. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Acts 4.12 There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way into that glorious home in heaven. Man, and so how do you take Jesus into heaven? How, how do you do that? How do you, how do you go with Jesus in, into this place called heaven? Again, it's not a difficult answer. One word, faith. Did you catch what Jesus said in, in the first verse there? Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God, my Father. Believe in me, the Son of God. His, his, his faith. That's how you get there. You turn to Jesus in, in faith. You, you, you come to Jesus in, in faith. You confess your sins to Jesus in, in faith. You follow Him in faith all of your days. And listen, if, if you truly do have a genuine faith right now, if you really do, some things will be evident in your life. There are lots of people in Easter services all over the world right now who say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. But nothing shows in their life. And if you have a genuine faith in Jesus, some things will show in your life. You will seek to obey Jesus. You will seek to read the words of Jesus. You you will pray to Jesus. You will will worship Jesus. You serve like Jesus. You'll be a missionary for Jesus. You you will love and enjoy and follow Jesus all all of your days. The evidence of genuine faith. And man, listen, if that's you, if you do have a genuine faith in Jesus right now, then guess what? You've been cleansed. You've been cleansed of all of your sin, past, present, and future, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And when Jesus returns, your body will come out of the grave like Jesus is dead. He will take you to himself and bring you into this glorious heaven forever. And man, do you know what God will say to you when he sees you coming? Welcome home. Welcome home, good and faithful servant. And that ache in your heart for a perfect home, it will finally be gone. And your heart now will cry out with joy, I'm home, home at last. Home, sweet home. I've mentioned this before, but I just love it. I'm gonna say it again. C.S. Lewis wrote a series 
of children's books called The Chronicles of Narnia and Anne. In that last book of his, in that series, when all the main characters finally made it there to heaven, Jewel the Unicorn says, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land that I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it. I'm home. And every single Christian on that day when Jesus returns and they enter that final finished heaven, they will say, I'm home. Home at last. Man, Jesus is saying something to us here in this passage. You know what he's saying? Come home. Come home, weary traveler. You come to me in faith now, Jesus says. And when I return, I'll bring you to myself. And you'll come home forever. Father, we thank you. That life goes beyond this world. We thank you, Father, that there's more than meets the eye here on planet Earth. We thank you, Father, for an eternal home that can quench this thirst in our hearts. This thirst we have deep inside for a perfect place. This thirst we have inside for a perfect body. This thirst we have to live with a perfect person. We thank you that heaven is real and it's real because of the resurrection of Jesus. A perfect place, a perfect body, living with a perfect person forever.